Many people passed up on free-to-play gaming in the early days. And today, this genre gives game makers almost 25 billion in the PC market and over 80 billion for the mobile gaming market. Now, imagine passing up on games like Counter-Strike, Fortnite, Clash of Clans, or even Angry Birds. These are massive brands that had big success. So a similar model is popping up right now, and a lot of people are doing the same thing with this opportunity. Web3 Gaming is on the come up. Welcome back to Uncapped, I'm Aldridge, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Cyril Barrow, a veteran of the gaming industry. He's the co-founder of Village Studio, who are launching a new product called Playkin. And in this interview, he breaks down how Web3 is gonna change the way players interact with their favorite games. So stick around, because he really dives into some core concepts which haven't even been explored yet. Let's get into it. Think to give a bit of context to the audience, how would you describe Village Studio and what you're doing with Playkin in one or two sentences? Cool. I'll start with what we're trying to do. Above anything else, we try to make interoperability between games work. We can talk about why it doesn't work currently, but uh, if we have to think about one thing, this is it. And I'm not thinking about a technical ability to make it work. I'm thinking about a motivation. Why would people care? Why would player care? about item interoperability and also aligning those motivations with why developers care about having players coming to their game with items they own from somewhere else. Then, who are we at Village Studio? We're a group of uh, ambitious you know, people looking at the future and thinking <laughs> that the future might be different from today and can we take part of that? Can we define what is tomorrow? And mm -hmm. um, we're trying to do everything our way. Okay, that sounds great. And I'm really keen to unpack that in a second. Now, I know the team is stacked. You have a lot of experience. You're all industry veterans. Um, you've worked for companies like Gameloft, Rovio, and Electronic Arts in various roles, operational, general management, studio management, exec roles. So my question, in your opinion, why is gaming or Web3 gaming, why does it have so much potential? This is very good questions. And, and, and the answer is it has a potential that we, we make. Um, I, was, I was working in, a, in the industry already when somebody had an idea to make game for free. And then within the experience, there was this new thing that you know, was, was given to us. It was a tool in order to make micropayment within the game. And we thought, well, right. if we make the game for free, then we can use that tool in order to enhance the experience for the player. And some, some of our bosses back then said, you know, ignore that, that's not gonna, you know, it's not <laughs> going to be important. So let's carry on okay. doing premium games. So I was in those events and I was employed during, during those, those shift. And as, as Web3 arrived, I was not employed. And I thought, well, nobody is here to tell me to ignore it. So why I think right. it's, 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 it's big is because it has the potential to bring something new to the players. We don't know what it's going to be. We have assumptions, okay. but, uh, but that's it. It's, it's just a new paradigm. Wow. Okay. So you, you've, you've seen the rise of all these really creative ideas that have changed the industry tremendously. So now you're trying to really push for interoperability of game assets and in-game avatars. So why do you believe there's limited potential in only having characters that you can um, use in one game? Why mm. is there a need for interoperability? I don't think there's anything wrong. It's not, it's not that it's broken today. It's okay. just that... You know, it's, it's the, the, the story of the faster, faster, faster horse. You know, what do you want? I want a faster horse. Well, I have this automobile. What do you think? Or I don't know. This is, you know, innovation. I don't want to hear about that. So it's nothing wrong. I mean, we love playing those games with Avatar and then we let them behind. But we think, if we think, if we look at the future, we think that tomorrow having ownership of all those items and taking them with you wherever you go 
And in some occasion, you reuse those when you bring those experiences into a new game. We think this is a new way of, of, of playing. And it's not that there's anything wrong today. It's just that maybe tomorrow is different. And we hope that tomorrow is better. And it's okay. our job as game makers to make the experience better. I 100% agree with that. You know, there's, there's definitely games that could really benefit from that, especially like role-playing games where you create a character and you want to see that character throughout multiple iterations of that series. Mm. So I definitely know I'm guilty of spending an hour creating a character. So I want to see it mm. kind of travel with me. So I like that idea. Because it's interesting, it's like, of course, you can think about an avatar and you, you get your, your upgrade your avatar, you spend time, you spend energy, you, you, you build a connection, emotional yeah. connection with your avatar. So, of course, it makes sense to bring it. The other example that everybody takes is like, if you've got this sword, you know, like level 10 sword, of course, I spend so much money and time, I want to take it to another battle, to another game, and I don't care if it's another developer. This is kind of, it's, it's good and we, we, we believe in that too. Okay. But it's, it's, it's just too easy. Now you're thinking about if I take two big games, if I take Candy Crush Saga and, and, and Angry Birds, what is it in Candy Crush that you care to own and care mm -hmm. to carry to Angry Birds? Suddenly it becomes a bit more complicated. And yeah, suddenly right. for us, game maker, it, it's it's a fascinating question. It's like, how do we drive the motivation for player to own something from that game that is totally random, a Candy Crush, a, a match-free game, and then take it to another game. And this is where we're going to discuss about the product we are making. And we think we have some solutions there. Okay. You know, that that's really interesting that you brought that up. Um, because I, I was looking at the game that you developed and it was really interesting to see. I can see that inspiration now. But before we, we dive into that, I know you've raised $2.3 million in funding, right? Um, yep. And I think, I believe it was with five investors, one of them being Animoca Brands. Correct. Yeah. Um, so I know a lot of people have big ideas in the space and many would want to follow in your footsteps. So I guess, could you give a bit of insight into how you approached um, sourcing some of that funding? So it's, it's, it's an organic story. So um, first of all, I was working personally at EA and I decided for some personal reason to leave <clears throat> and kind mm -hmm. of, you know, to take my time. But I was starting to tell everybody that most likely I'm going to become entrepreneur. I'm getting close to 50 and I'm thinking like, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. I should have done it okay. before anyway. <laughs> But the world yeah. started to discuss, I mean, to, to travel. And I get a couple of investors calling me out of the blue and say, hey, Cyril, you don't know me. I don't know you. Uh, but I heard you just left here. You want to do a startup. I mean, investors, should we, should we talk? Okay. Um, so I started to build those connections. Eventually, I didn't do, I didn't do the, what I was planning to do because I met Will and Will really, you know, um, inspired me talking about Web3 and the use of the blockchain technology to add value to the player. And I was like, that's it. That's a lot better than what I was thinking to do. What I was thinking to do is just, a, let's say, yet another casual mobile free-to-play studio. Okay. So very, very standard because this is my, my, my know-how. So when I started to decide with Will, let's do it. And it was October and end of October. Uh, we had already a little bit of contact with investors because those investors came to me and some investors uh, came to Will in the past or Will was looking at investment. But we were right, right. A, a, a month away from a major conference in Helsinki called Slush where like 600, 500 investors are meeting 2,000 startups. And we say, well, Cyril, you're in Helsinki. You get all those 500 or 600 investors in Helsinki. Of course, you have to go there. So what do we do? We need to make a deck. <laughs> so we okay. need to make a deck. We build a deck and suddenly we go back to those investors and one interest to another, etc. Eventually, we have like 10, 20 uh, investor meeting at Slush. 
And people say, well, I love your team. I mean, your ex, EA, ex, Inga, ex, Rovio, ex, etc. Um, yes, yes, yes. And that's, that was just so organic. I mean, 3rd of December was the first day of slush. Trust me, I went there from, I mean, my previous job was corporate, 15 years in corporate. It has nothing to do mm-hmm. with being entrepreneur, pitching money to an investor, okay. pitching a vision. It has, it's a different set of skill. So I was yep. really feeling very junior there with my deck and talking to investor. And four months uh, later, with Christmas in the middle, we had, you know, commitment. And uh, months later, we had our first employee with a paycheck. That's amazing. Mm. Okay, so would would you say to people to just go to some of these events because you never know who you're going to meet and, you know, especially when there's a lot of people there who are eager to invest in you, you know, the best thing you can do is just pitch, I suppose, because you said yourself, which which is surprising that um, you didn't have those skill sets, but you just had something prepared and you were just giving it a go. Exactly. What I would say is um, go to the events, talk to investors, just go for it. You know, you'll make mistakes, but who cares? The other thing is you, you figure out in your network, you, you'll be surprised that some people are already very well connected because some people have got different steps. I'm not saying stay, saying they have a step ahead. They just have a different steps. And yes. some people make a reputation uh, for themselves being connectors. You, you don't right. necessarily see it in your current job because, you know, you don't need to see it. You don't need to, to use that. But some people are extremely well connected and their own reputation is to know the market, know the investors. And hey, investors, mm-hmm. I've got this friend. Or, I, I heard about this project. It sounds interesting. You should talk to each other. They, I don't know. I mean, their own interest is just to be, stay being the connectors and being uh, known for being the connectors. And those people, they're super happy to make warm introduction. You just need to find those ones. And they're not obvious. Uh, but okay. once you figure out who they are, they're just gold. They're gold in your network. Okay. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I imagine when you're, we're talking to all these people, right? Uh, if you're speaking to Web3 natives, it helps because they kind of understand um, the space. But what about uh, the broader audiences? And especially with this negative stigma around mm. gaming and NFT gaming, uh, how do you approach you know, forming some of these key relationships with either developers or gamers or investors um, who are ultimately going to adopt Playkin avatars? I mean, the hardest is the players because there is a big stigma. And the stigma yes. is, is due, and it's totally fair, is due to, uh, to the education. So you know, at the moment, the only thing you see is, is, is some crazy NFT art that is being purchased and sold, and people are becoming rich, and people don't understand why ownership of mm-hmm. a digital asset has got any, any type of sense. I mean, trust me, I talked to my dad and to my mom about it. They, they don't get it. They don't understand what <laughs> okay. I'm doing. They have yeah. no idea why ownership of a piece of a hard drive is important for some people. Um, <laughs> okay. But for us, it's if we can crack the players, then we crack everybody else. Um, right. So our idea as game makers is our unfair advantage, as you mentioned at the beginning of this call, is we've been doing games you know, for 15 mm-hmm. years or 20 years. And this is absolutely unfair to a lot of ventures that are out there that understand extremely well the Web3 technology, but just think that making games is super easy. So for us, That's we're right. taking the, the opposite. It's like we've been providing experiences for the players. We've been focusing on retention. We've been focusing on, on social features. We've been uh, focusing on, of course, monetization for many years, 15, 20 years. Now, mm-hmm. how do we carry on doing that, understanding that we have one more tool? Remember when I said that when Apple allowed IAP in a purchase within the game, that was a tool for us that yes. allow the turn of the industry from premium to freemium. Now, today we have another tool in our, in our tool set. The, the other tool is ability to save 
own, something that we own on a chain that is secure on, on, on paper. So right. it's allow ownership of players of their, of their game items. So the idea for us is about how do we carry on providing experiences while we use this tool? We don't want to put up front, hey, we are blockchain, hey, whenever you play this amazing game, you will be able to use whatever, you know, Polygon uh, blockchain. <laughs> the player don't yeah. care. What no. player care is that at some point, they feel that if they have ownership of this item over they don't have ownership, if they have ownership, is better than if they don't have. So we need to drive that motivation. The same way we, we are driving players toward retaining in the game, coming back tomorrow, or starting to buy a, a pack in the, in, the app store, in the app store, so monetizing the game. The same way we need to bring the players toward, hey, you know what? You just acquired this, this item. It has a utility somewhere else. Why don't you go and discover this other game? Because mm. people have got interest for you to move from one game to another. Anyway, you're in a cycle where maybe you're done with that game. So instead of clicking on an ad on Facebook, I'd rather you could to go to another game of my network or my own game. So it's really this work we're doing is about working with the player motivation the same way we've been working with player motivation in free-to-play for many years. And then we think the player is just going to come very naturally, very organically toward those. But we're not going to say polygon, bridge, token. <laughs> you know, we're not going to say that. It's just yes. play, play the game, enjoy. And I think that just shows a bit of your experience. You know, you can empathize with the end user and that's how you're really driving their, their motivations and their decision making. So I think that's probably the best approach to really mm -hmm. understand the customer and really give them value first rather than promoting a technology that they didn't care about in the first place. Why don't we dive into Playkin and actually mm -hmm. talk about what it is you're building? Is there something in Web2 that's similar so the audience can get a bit of comparison in something that's already out there. Absolutely. So there are a few examples. And <laughs> what I would love to tell you is examples that don't exist that should exist in Web2. So okay. let's, stay, let's stay with an, an easy one. So Xbox has Avatar. And those Avatar, yes. they, they are present. And they're able to you know, kind of connect with, with game to game. There, is the, there was this uh, Amiibo, um, Nintendo Amiibo. It's a, it's a small mm -hmm. plastic toy that has near-field communication technology. So it has a little chip inside. And if you bring it close to your console, it will, the console will read you know, some data and say, okay, oh, you got this yellow little figurine. So I know right. what to do with that in the game. It will kind of affect the code and modify your game experience. Mm -hmm. So there were this cross game, you know, in, in first case, it was an avatar. The other one was a, you know, a data carrier. So you can see that, you know, data carrier could be the blockchain, you know, carrying something. <laughs> Okay, uh, uh, but I, I want to say I want to give you I want to give the audience that companies that should have interoperability in Web two. So if you think about big, I've been working this, in big companies with huge portfolio. You know, I'm talking about mm -hmm. 25 games. Out of the 25 games, two or three are making 80 percent or 90 percent of the yearly revenue. So we have what we call the long tail portfolio. The long tail portfolio okay. is, you know, I'm going to take an example here. I I'm in Finland. I worked for Rovio five years, so I know Angry Birds. Mm -hmm. Angry Birds Classic from 2009 is making, you know, almost zero money. It's make millions, but compared to the <laughs> to the 300 million <laughs> that Rovio is doing, it's let's say, you know, it's very small number of millions. Okay, and but it's organically there's so many downloads every day. You know, I can't give wow. the numbers, okay. but yeah. You know, uh, for, I don't want to disclose, just disclose the numbers, but you know, there are mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of downloads every day, organically. Of course, as a company, Rovio 
don't really want those downloads. They would prefer to have players downloading Angry Birds 2, who's making you know, the majority of the revenue of the company. Right. Now, if you're Rovio, and if you don't care about blockchain, but you set up a server somewhere in, in, in Finland, in Helsinki, Finland, and you say, okay, well, I'm happy you downloaded Angry Birds Classic. And in this experience, I'm offering you a hat. At some point, there's a hat. And it has a utility in the game. You can, you know, you can use it in the game. It's fair. You know, it's a standalone experience. Mm-hmm. But at some point, instead of putting an ad saying, hey, have you played Angry Birds 2 already? It's just saying, hey, do you know the hat you've been playing for a week? It's a huge advantage if you join Angry Birds 2 because it's the, it's the season of gold. And you just got a gold hat. Angry Birds 2 has got already a hat system that is a multiplier, is a, is, is a booster. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you offer the user the, a, a new utility for their item, I'm not saying they go to Angry Birds 2, I'm not saying, but one, they know yes. Angry Birds 2 exists. Two, they know that there is an item here that they own that has a mm-hmm. utility over there. And I think company like Rovio, EA, I worked also at EA, but any company with a big portfolio should cross-promote their user from their long-tail portfolio to their main game, having game items that can be owned by the players and have a utility. You don't need blockchain because you're behind World Garden of a specific company. You just need okay. a server. It doesn't need, doesn't need to be interoperable with other companies or the game, just mm-hmm. your own game for the for the sake of cross-promotion. And that would be a, a very, very good use for the player when you give a utility to an item that they own um, and for the company. So I would love, love okay. to see that, and maybe some people will do that. Uh, it sounds great, um, and it really sounds like you're kind of working on a solution because of the lack or the gap in the market right now. So let, let's hear about let's hear about your avatars. Absolutely. So it's it's interesting because there are other Web three avatars that basically take your identity from one game to another. Some very famous company they even have a. a technical implementation that is out of this world. I mean, they're able to display 3D avatar with hair mechanics and you naming, you name it, you know, uh, wrinkles. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely amazing. But basically what they, what they do, they transfer an identity from one game to another. For the players, it, it has a value, but let's face it, it's mainly cosmetic and, mm-hmm. and the motivation to do so is, let's say, average. It's good, but it's, it's average. So what we mm-hmm. want to go beyond is like Playcons, yes, they are avatars because they are a vehicle to, that carries. And what they carry, they carry um, your power. So what we think is, as a, we've been looking at the, the games and we've been thinking, what is common to all those games? What will be the first thing that we want to carry from one game to another? And we think that every game has a power-up system, a booster system. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. And some boosters you can buy and they are consumable. Some boosters you buy and you get forever. So we say booster are consumable and, and, and power are forever, persistent. So what if you buy your persistent power and you're able to bring it, you to take it from one game to another? And then we thought, what is the best way to display it for the users in order to get a good uh, user experience, user interaction? It would be an avatar. And we thought, okay, you get an avatar, which is a canvas, and then you have <clears throat> four different pieces, the hair and hat, the other one will be the the shirt, the other one will be the pant, and the fourth one will be the shoes. Okay. Um, each one has attributes, and uh, each attributes can be mapped into the power system of each game. So power system of each game already exists. I mean, every 
economy designer, every system designer in, in a game studio has an Excel somewhere that says, this is a bigger sword, this is a bigger shield, this is a bigger speed, this is a bigger, yes. it, it's already exists. Now, every game studio out there has items they sell on the App Store and those items will come and already modify those Excels. So we thought, well, we just have that power, which is, which is an attribute that travels from one game to another. Um, and then the implementation is fairly simple, not simple, but fairly simple, where it becomes just a multiplier for, for those systems that already exist. So yes, it looks like an avatar. It is an avatar. You have a connection, emotional connection with the identity of your avatar. We are, because mm -hmm. this is very important for us, the co uh, emotional connection. So you, you really care to own the, those avatars. But more imp importantly, if, uh, as, a, as a utility for the player, the utility is your bringer power to your game. So when I was asking you the question, what do you care to own from Candy Crush that you want to take to uh, Angry Birds? Well, I would mm -hmm. love to own my power, you know, all the power I bought in Candy Crush. I would love yes. to bring that power to Angry Birds. That would make my day. That <laughs> would make my day as a player. Yeah, um, I, I really think it, it's cool because I, I have noticed that, you know, you have some interesting mechanics, like let's say you have a shirt and the way that you bring that across to different games um, in terms of a bonus um, in that game is really interesting. You know, could you give a specific example of how you implemented that? Yeah, so a designer will have a, will have a better understanding and a better explanation than me. I'm, I'm operation, so I'm a little bit raw on the explanation. <laughs> but let's say, we, you know, there's a shirt that has attribute A, 54, 54%. So in an RPG, You'll, you'll basically increase your, your shield ability by 5.4%. You know, 54, yes. attribute A, 5.4. In a game, if it's a red shirt, for example, you could say that, well, if you have red plus 54, if you just take 54, it's up to, you, up to the designer. Suddenly, yes. every time you, you match the red one, you will have 54% extra XP, you know, in, mm -hmm. in, in, in your bar. So if you know that... Uh, you want to pass the next XP level, level, you better have a shirt that has attribute A as, as high as possible. If you go to a battle, maybe attribute A doesn't have really, um, you know, kind of match-free battle one against the other. Attribute A might not be the one you want, you want attribute uh, B. So also as, as a player, it's important to have a collection of different, uh, different shirts because the attributes will be distributed differently. So that's another one. And of course there is the class, so the rarity. So if you have an epic card, mm -hmm. if you have an epic, you know, shirt, then the epic will unlock a special VIP bodies of VIP you know, uh, mode uh, in, into your game. So that, that type of implement, implementation, and the beauty of it, it doesn't have to be linear. It doesn't have to be 54% increased by 54. It could be the invert. It could be algori uh, algorithmic. It could exactly. be, well, I just ignore attribute A, I just take the class. The designer mm -hmm. can really start to play. Again, this is a tool set for the designer to add value to the player. And it could be, it could be very interesting because if you're blindly boring, just doing the linear thing all the time, the player will be bored. But yeah. if you suddenly say, you know what? With this game mode, I only want common classes. I don't care about epic or anything. If you bring epic, okay. you're not in advantage. Suddenly you only play with the common one and, and the value <laughs> of the common card and the common attributes are, are taking, you know, are, are increasing. So it's very interesting for designers. Um, I'm not a designer myself, but I'm very inspired by Will, who's, whenever he talks about design and implementation of those attributes. 
Yeah, I think you could be really innovative with it, you know, and it just adds another layer of gamification across the whole ecosystem, you yeah. know, depending on seasonal changes, maybe it's correct. You 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 get into different colors or, you know, a, a specific theme or yeah. I think it's really cool how you can play around with it and even like you said, it doesn't matter about rarity, so you actually want to collect something just because um, you never know what the future utility may be. So there's this option for you to chop and change depending on what game you're playing. So Absolutely. I'm really excited. Mm, now, cool. let's let's talk about once you have these um, avatars, what about the games? What games are you developing? Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So we have we have good pillars for, um, for the game we are making. Um, I can talk about it a bit later, but at the moment, we have put our hands of a keyboard on developing a game that is a match three battle royale. So we looked at uh, Tetris 99, uh, which is a battler with a Tetris uh, core loop. Yes. And we thought it's amazing. It just, it just could be so much better. It's just already <laughs> amazing, but it could be so much yep. better as, as it is. So that was the inspiration. And um, very interesting. I mean, we started with, uh, with a match three grid. And then a battler. Every time you will match, it will check send punch. You know, if you if you match blue, it will be a shield. If you match green, it will be a heal. If you match red, it will be a punch. You know, and black okay, will okay. be a will be a bomb. This this type of thing. We right. we knew from the beginning, from having done prototype in the past, you know, in, in other companies, that the moment the player has to focus on the match, at the moment at the same time analyze the the other that are still standing. Understand mm -hmm. how much you have to attack, how much you have to 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 defend yourself. It's going to be uh, you know cognitive overload. You know it's going just going to be too much. But we wanted to try. It was super super fast. In a couple of weeks, we had the prototype. We had the prototype. We put it in the hand of real players. You know, thirty real players selected, and basically they just told us what we were, what we knew already. It's like ah, it's, it's just too much. You know, I have to look everywhere. So we we were really thinking about oh, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's dead. You know, that's it. But then we thought okay. Why don't we do match three that will collect card? So match red, you collect a card of a punch. Eventually, after uh, you know a minute and a half of matching, you have your collection of cards. The faster you are, or the more clever you have, you have more shield, more heal, etc. And then you're okay, into battle. Okay. And then it becomes a card battler. You have people real time in front of you, and now you have the time to focus on who's attacking me, who do I want revenge to. Um, how do I heal myself, etc. So you're really focusing on the okay. battle, and this is, you know, we know how to do battle. This is this is yes. you know, a known core loop. And suddenly, this game become amazingly deep in terms of strategy, because you have okay. the strategy of what kind of card you want, what kind of yes. uh, attributes your avatar brings, and what kind of power ups they they bring, and at the same time, how you're going to battle and be the last one standing. So this game we mm -hmm. went through a second round of user test. And it went from, yeah, you know, the first user test was a little bit like it's difficult on, on, the, uh, on the cognitive load. Uh, but they were like very trivial thing. Can you do that? Now it's like, hey, we love the game. When can we have sound? When can we have better graphic? And, and that was a great <laughs> sign for us that okay. they don't talk about the core loop anymore. They just want the full yes. experience. So very, okay, okay. Um, yeah, encouraged by the, the response from the users. It looks really cool. I, I saw a, an image of it. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of, fighting in-house when we're playing this game, but yeah. um, it, it looks like a bunch of fun. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Thank you. Now, what about other games in development? You know, are you going to open it up to other developers uh, joining into your ecosystem and creating games that they can use your avatars in their own? Or, you know, at what point would you say you're going to open that up? 
Mm. Uh, so it's a great question. So there's a theory. The theory is is we need to create this snowball, and this snowball needs to be a bit big, bigger. So basically, we think that right. when we do game one, we'll have some users. The, some users will start to spend some money, and that will fill a treasury. So the the revenue of the users are not coming to us directly; they're coming to a treasury. Um, okay. And then you know from the from the treasury, developers will say, "Ooh, I'm interested." You know, there's this treasury I could get some money from, and there are some users. So let me come uh, join join this platform, the Playkin platform. Let me use a Playkin, and then they will develop more games, so there will be more users, etc. Et and then maybe bigger developers will be interested because there's more money and more 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 player. So eventually, you know, we will attract bigger and bigger developers. And it could start tomorrow. It could start after Playken, you know, uh, is, is launch. It's just, you know, people are interested. Um, okay. The, 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 sorry, I lost a bit my, my, my thought here, but you know, the, answer right. is, the answer is yes, developers are coming. And, the, and to answer your question, when? It could be when the snowboard is big enough. It could be after we right. develop game one, game two, game three. It could, but okay. it could be just after game one. All right. And, you know, in, in just in general with, with Puskin, the, the match three battle royale that you're talking yeah. about, mm -hmm. what are timelines until launch? You know, do you have rough dates at this moment or are you still kind of going through the user testing and just making sure quality control? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So the definition of launch in free-to-play uh, has evolved very, very much in the last, I would say, three, four, three, five years. We used to develop a game for 18 months and we used to put it in soft launch and we were a bit afraid for 18 months that anybody will steal my idea, my great idea. You know. <laughs> the reality is your great idea is not tested by users. Nobody is going to steal it because it's not proven. But anyway, right. that used to be the way. Then we introduced like five years ago, a bit more than five years ago, we introduced user testing very early in the process just to validate some of the hypotheses uh, that we have in, in game, game making. But as we start to test 30 users, 300 users, 3,000 users, and then eventually soft launch. Where do you call it launch? Is it 30 users? Is it soft right. launch? Is it 3,000 users? So I think the definition of launch has, has, has evolved. So for us, we're going to be extremely transparent with, first of all, with our community that is following us on mm -hmm. Discord. We're going to let them know, you know what we're building. Uh, we're going to offer them to play with us. We're going to offer them links to, to, to play the prototypes. And I would say this is already a launch. So not to be a bit more serious, but okay. just okay. on the philosophical aspect, I, I truly believe that launch is so early. Um, right. Game development takes for a game like, uh, game like uh, Puskens is going to take roughly nine months. I mean, it, okay. could be, it could be seven, it could be 12, but I don't think it's yeah. going to take more than that. So if we say that in January, we will, done, we will have done all the tests we want to do with the core loop and, and maybe some of the meta with the uh, real players. If we mm -hmm. start in January, we can expect September to Christmas 23, um, okay. um, a, a launch that is called, you know, that is at scale. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe you're going to have a founder's drop um, initially. Is, is that the case where these yeah. attributes have increased statistics? Yes. We okay. got inspired by the, the one of the black card in Magic the Gathering. Again, we'll, we'll okay. be able to talk to you for hours on that topic. <laughs> okay. uh, a bit less uh, myself. But th there is the idea that in Web3, there is a speculative uh, asset. And it used to be the token. But the problem with the token being speculative, it becomes very quickly a, a Ponzi scheme. And it just mm -hmm. relies on more people wanting to buy the token tomorrow than there are that are ready to buy it today. 
And yes. forest is not sustainable, and it's sustainability is one of our cultural pillar. Whether yeah, any type of sustainability, whether it is ecological or if it's a player or retention or anything like that, it has to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. So this type of tokenomics is not or economy in the game is not something that we want to um, we want to carry and develop. Uh, so um, the NFT, uh, the founders NFT drop, is going to be this superpower. Uh, card. So it's a card that holds okay. a lot of power, maybe a maxed out attribute or something like that. Um, okay. There will be some variation, of course, and some rarity within within this drop. But basically, it's going to be our, our pre-sale that we're going to do. And it's going to reward, of course, investors. It's going to um, reward the um, original community, but also it's going to reward, you know, as we go, uh, some, of the, some of the players. So yeah, that's the plan. So you understood correctly. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I just want to go back to what you said about a sustainable economy. I know there's a lot of games and NFT projects that have come out um, with a lot of speculation or these Ponzi kind of structures. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a big issue when you do develop an NFT game or something in Web3, you know, how are you approaching developing a sustainable model? Yeah, and it's a complex question, to be honest. We know we want to do it. How exactly yeah. we're going to do it, we're not sure. So one of the... Okay pillar idea that we have is to have a stable coin. So the, mm -hmm. the token that we will have by design will kind of self, you know, level in terms of value. Why? Right. Because if you're a player and you know that a shirt, any, any type of item today costs you a dollar or $10 or hundred dollars, it's very mm -hmm. fair that tomorrow you can expect this, this value to be roughly the same. As a player, you don't, you don't anticipate price variation and you don't start to, uh, you know, buy and sell according to, 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 to the price and, uh, and to the rate of those items. This is not what gaming is about. Gaming is about, I'm playing, playing the experience. And yes, part of this yes. experience, I need to buy something and I need to understand what is the value of it and what is the price of it. So having a stable okay. coin is basically having kind of standard, uh, non-flexible price is part yeah. of the answer. Um, and in order to do that, there are some economical model, tokenomic model that we think mm -hmm. could work. They need to be tested. Um, but to be honest, at the moment, we're really focusing on the player experience. The monetization aspect of it is going to come, let's say, I don't know, if I had, if I had to guess, I would say Q2 next year. Uh, in the meantime, it's really about making this experience seamless for the players, to for them to, you know, don't care about the blockchain technology that is behind, it's just a game. Okay. Mm. And, you know, I do like what you're saying about having something that's a bit stable, because then the focus is just on the experience. You're right. It's not worrying about all oh, these market shifts there's a bit of volatility here maybe i can make some some gains you know yeah. um, the focus is very much on the product first so yeah i appreciate that sentiment so we talked uh, a lot i think it's been really insightful you've covered a lot about the whole funding user experience how you're going to develop plague and, and you know the future and the vision that you have for the the village studio i really think people would want to connect with you so what is the best way that they can do that I think the best way and in order to get information about what we're doing and keep uh, yourself updated about what we're doing is, is to go on our Discord. Um, we put some effort to you know, be as transparent as possible, not to be afraid to share some work in progress, knowing that it might change tomorrow. Uh, so okay. we, we, we put effort to maintain it and uh, you're welcome to join us on Discord and follow what we're doing. Yes, I think I'm in there already. Um, but you. I have one final question. Um, if you and all your team members were playing Puskin, who do you think would win? 
That's a very good question. So I would love to say, I don't know if it's true, but I would love to say that whoever in the team is saying, I am not a gamer, because we love making games for people <laughs> who say they are not gamers, because they are, you know, yeah. people people playing Candy Crush. Are you a gamer? I'm not a gamer, but I play Candy Crush. So I would That's say true. Michelle, a head of talent acquisition, I would say um, she's oh, maybe okay, the closest, okay. or me, because I, I oh, pride okay. myself to say, <laughs> I make game, but I'm not a gamer, which is not true, but I love to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm also dying to get my hands on it and also play. We have a competitive house here, so I'm definitely keen to play with my partner. But Excellent. anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with me. It's been really insightful, and I wish you all the best with your project. Thank you, Al. Very appreciate it. Thank you. And back to our audience. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I would love to know what you think about Web3 Gaming. So share your thoughts on our socials, there is links in the description. And while you're there, feel free to subscribe to the pod. Other than that, I will see you in the next one. Peace.